Welcome to Pre-K Spot Talks. I am Melissa, your host and the founder of Pre-K Spot, the spot for early childhood educators to open up their teaching. I am your guide down the open-ended child-led teaching path, and together we will explore strategies and ideas so that you may open up your teaching to less stress, more engagement, and an overall joyful child-led classroom. Hey, hey, educator friend, we are back. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4, all about a sensory smart classroom. We all know as teachers that center, sensory integration is a foundation for learning. We all know that sensory systems play a huge role in children's development. Sensory systems help children and people in general to regulate, pay attention, sit in a certain way, be strong, write, read, organize, so many things. I love this quote, if it hasn't been in the hands, it can't be in the brain. This week's episode is all about sensory integration into the classroom, and I am using a blog post written by Jamie Chavez talking all about multisensory learning. Jamie Chavez writes one of my favorite books, is Sensory Smart Classrooms, and she has wonderful insights into sensory and how it plays a giant role in children's development and learning. Now, I am not an OT, but I have always understood early in my career that sensory plays a large, large role in what we do in the classroom as teachers. Working with special needs children when I was doing EI, I learned this firsthand. We incorporated so many multi-sensory experiences for students so that they had lots of different ways to cement the learning of the skills that we were doing. Also, incorporating sensory ideas into a home was really helpful for families of these students. So this is where I started on this journey, and I have always incorporated as much sensory experience as I can in the classroom. Now, I remember listening to a talk by Jamie in an early childhood summit a couple of years ago, and she mentioned that there are up to 13 sensory systems. But of course, we know of the core eight. We have the auditory, everything that you hear, visual, everything that you see, tactile, things that you can touch and feel, gustatory, which is what you taste, olfactory, which is what you smell, proprioceptive, which is part of the body in space, or it's how your body moves in space and our body awareness. Vestibular is how you perceive your relationship to gravity and orientation in space. And interoceptive input is how we perceive our internal needs. It is key to understanding and knowing these eight systems and up to 13 to provide your child what they need in terms of sensory input or output so that you can meet the need that they are exhibiting. This really helps to control behaviors. Ooh, don't love that word. This really helps children to regulate behaviors and to move their way through space and through the classroom. And Jamie mentions that all of this starts with sensory modulation. I'm going to quote from the art of her blog post. Modulation is essentially the brain's ability to dial up or dial down how much sensory input is received to prevent too little or too much stimulation. This is where it gets a little bit sciency, but sensory modulation is linked to the feeling of safety because it helps to trigger or not trigger our flight, fight, or freeze responses in the lower part of the brain. 
And I've been doing some brain research in terms of play and culturally responsive teaching. And if anybody knows conscious discipline or has read The Whole Brain's Child, we know that the lower part of our brain system in the amygdala was, is what sets off the need to survive. This is survival mode, which is where we get our flight, fight, or freeze, and that can be triggered by many different things. Now, this plays the role in the classroom because this is where children's behaviors come in. Too much input, not enough input. All of these things can play a role in how the children are feeling in the classroom if they feel safe. Do they feel like they are getting what they need? Do they have needs that they can't express? Usually those are some type of sensory need. At least this is what I've found in my experiences. And of course, these are usually easy to see. A child who is acting out has big emotions. A lot of this can be because of sensory. But we also have to remember that there are the quiet children or there are children who are understimulated and they may not be showing you the signs the same way another child will. Another key sensory factor that plays a role into teaching is sensory discrimination. And to quote again, discrimination is how we differentiate the temporal time and spatial space properties of sensory input so that we can make meaning out of it and use it to engage in meaningful activities. This is what we do with the input rather than the reaction to the input. So this is looks like something like the force that a child uses to draw and write or to discriminate which direction a sound is coming from. Sensory discrimination is incredibly important in a classroom because there is a lot happening, especially in an early childhood classroom. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of children moving about. So it is really important for children to be able to regulate this and make sure that they have it working properly. And finally, the last subdomain of sensory that we need to understand as teachers in the classroom is sensory-based motor skills. And to quote, sensory-based motor skills are required for practice, ideation, motor planning, sequencing, motor execution, and postural stability. This is the last identified subtype of sensory processing. This plays a major role in executive functioning and organizing our bodies and organizing our space. We all know how much executive functioning plays a huge role in what children are doing within the classroom space when it comes to routine and packing up and planning and playing. It is definitely a key part of a child's development. So now that we share just a tidbit about science, the science of sensory, let's move away from the blog post and I want to share with you how I make sure I am offering my students as much sensory input and output and experience as possible within the classroom so that they can remain regulated as often as possible. And even if they could become dysregulated, they have all the tools accessible to help re-regulate. I've definitely put a lot of these in place throughout my time um, learning and working with families in EI and also working really closely with the OTs in my classroom. I have definitely always had children who needed OT, and so I've always had lots and lots of visits. And we always see children who might not qualify for services but could definitely benefit from sensory experiences. And so this is what I do in my classroom and offer to my students, just so you can might be able to get some ideas and some inspiration. One of the main things that I do during our circle time in our circle area, we have lots of different types of seating. We have stadium seats, bucket seats, cushions, pillows. I also make sure that there's a place for students to lean. And this is really, really helpful 
to regulate their bodies and to build strength. Children who have a uh, low tone or don't have a lot of core muscle can definitely benefit from these types of tools. We also are not sitting for any longer than five minutes unless the conversation happens to just go a little bit longer. And I don't require children to maintain a still body. They are absolutely allowed to move within the little bit of space that they have on the carpet. And if they need to move to a different area of the carpet, I am definitely okay with that. We also allow the children to work with fidgets or to hold on to something that something that has input or output if that's what they need. I also allow stuffies during this time as well. I find that the children like to have something in their hands and it gives them something to do while they're also paying attention. And it sometimes helps to keep their focus on me instead of their focus on all million other things because they have what they need right in their laps. This is also a great time for weighted blankets or pillows or stuffies. Now just make sure that if you are offering this, it is only 5% of the child's weight. So you need to know how much the child weighs. And roughly with pre-K students, it's anywhere from one pound to two pounds if they're a little bit bigger. This can be filled with rice or beans or other similar items. It doesn't take much to come up with one, one and a half pounds. Now, these are just the tools that we have during this time. During morning meeting, I also like to make sure that we are doing a lot of movement activities, things like dancing with scarves so that children are crossing midline, they're reaching up, they're reaching down, they're reaching side to side, they're building their core muscles, they're moving and spinning. Spinning really, really helps with the proprioceptive system. And it also helps children just understand their body awareness and where they are in space. Of course, you can get these types of movements through dancing, small tag games, or the parachute, or things like pulling out a card and doing that movement. There are lots of different ways to provide the appropriate types of movement to maintain regulation during morning meeting. Now, other experiences throughout the day, like during work time when the children are freely playing, Of course, this is always a much more regulated time, but children can get very excited. So making sure that we have every type of opportunity available to them, like drawing or writing and sensory table. The sensory table gets changed about once a month, but I do also have bins available to offer a different kind of sensory experience. This is usually where I put water because I don't love to put a lot of water into the big sensory table and have to take it out and dump it. It's kind of cumbersome. So I've realized that what works for me in our classroom is to fill the sensory table with things that are easier to clean out like sand or beads or paper or something like that, and then to leave water into smaller bins that are easy to dump. The children are also allowed to take paints whenever they want. We have slime and foam and lots of different feeling textured items, Play-Doh, clay, even the tiles and the loose parts provide many different textures for the students. Things like filling and dumping, all of this helps the children to regulate themselves. Now, if during work time or any other time of the day, a student is starting to get dysregulated, we have a lot of options for them to help come back down. One of those is the cozy corner, and our cozy corner is soft, it's enclosed, it's small, and can be tight for the students that need that. It also gives them an opportunity to work with sensory bottles. They have different kinds of fillings. Some have water, some have items inside, some make noise, some don't. I also have a sequin flip pillow that children can feel. The pillows inside, some of them are 
furry. Some of them are just soft. Some of them are um, velvet or uh, velour. And there are also some other regulating items like a skin brush or a squishy ball and a lot of the other fidget type items, you know, stretchy bands, uh, pop tubes, poppets, things like that. They're all there to be chosen. They're not right there in front of the child's face so that it's not too overwhelming, but they are within grabbing of that area. Other tools that we have to help regulate students are a sit and spin in the hallway. We have a balance board. We also have scooters and we have other things set up out in the hallway like tape on the floor for children to do hopscotch or to spin or to follow a zigzag line and the trusty old trampoline. We also have a ball pit which is sometimes filled with balls or right now it's filled with stuffing like on the inside of a pillow and children love to use that as well. We also incorporate a lot of sensory exercises. The exercises the children are most familiar with that we use in a general manner are wall pushes, bear crawls, crab walks, crawling, running, hopping, spinning. And when we do hopping, they do two feet, one foot, whatever works for them. And then we also have heavy work. We have a couple of bins of books ready to be carried to somebody else. So it's just a job that they need to help us with. Or we also have boxes that can be pushed that, again, are not too heavy, but are just enough to provide some of that necessary heavy work. We also make sure that students understand that they never have to participate in something that they do not want to. If they don't like the way it looks or it feels icky or it feels yucky or the sounds are too big or they sound too scary, we absolutely allow children to take headphones if necessary or to walk to a different part of the room or to leave or to just not participate if they don't want to. And they understand this. They just know that they have to tell us and they let us know and we can offer them a different option. Now, again, I just want to make sure that we say that I do get a lot of input from my OTs before I start handing out random fidgets and things like that. If I have a child that I have some questions about, I have them come and do a quick observation and help me understand which type of sensory system it might be that they need input for or they need some kind of stimulation for. And we use the appropriate tools for that child. Even if they don't qualify, we definitely make sure that we are using what is necessary. I will show, tell my OT all of the symptoms that I am seeing, and they will offer me their input. Of course, like I said, many of the things that I have listed can generally keep the general population in a regulated state, and it is very helpful to help incorporate all of these different things into your classroom at all times, and to make sure that small children are always moving and are always engaged in fun, stimulating activities and conversation, and they will usually stay regulated. And if you haven't already, you definitely want to check out my sensory list of sensory items for an entire year to fill your sensory bin. And the best part about all of these ideas, none of them are food. We all know that there are food insecurities out there. While they may not be a part of our school population, it is best practice to think about not really using a lot of food in a wasteful way. There are lots of non-food items where we can provide children the exact same feel and the exact same sensory experience. I have dropped a link to the list in the show notes, or you can also grab it on Instagram or my website through the links there. 
I've also included a link to the blog post that I used for the information by Jamie Chavez, as well as a link to her book. And if you love this episode, don't be afraid to leave a review or leave a review for the show. This is definitely helpful for people who are looking for new podcasts to listen to. And again, if you loved it, share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening, and that's it for this episode.